Hello everyone and welcome to the third podcast for Africa Sports Unified. It's myself here, Gabriel, and today I'm with Peter Raymond, the course director of the ESSA Diploma, which he founded in 2012 after he saw a gap in the market to provide a postgrad qualification to train and develop the workforce. And in the six years since it's been running, they've trained and developed over 300 UK and international practitioners via its distance learning course, the ESSA Diploma. So ESSA, before I get into it, ESSA stands for the European Sponsorship Association. And I'm sure for most of you listening, you're probably thinking, okay, what's the link between the European Sponsorship Association and the podcast on Africa sports business? Well, let me give you an answer to that. Um, firstly, when I speak to most people, and in previous podcasts that you may have heard, one question I ask them at the end is, what would be needed? Well, if they were to introduce one thing to the African market, what would it be? And quite a few of them have said education. And secondly as well, from the conversations that I have had with people within the African market, they always talk about sponsorships and partnerships. And so that's the reason why I was so keen to sit down and talk to Peter, because he's got great experience in education and in sponsorship. So that's a little introduction. Um, so Peter, thanks for coming. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you, Gabriel. I've got, I've got one thing to add immediately to yep. your introduction, your kind introduction. Um, just for the benefit of your audience, um, just to let you know that the diploma has been running now for six years, and in that time I've had three candidates from South Africa and two from Nigeria who have all got the, the, the diploma, got the qualification, and they are now very leading edge um, in their markets. So okay. please don't think that because it's called European Sponsorship Association, it, it excludes people from other parts of the world, as well as Africa. Um, I've got candidates this year, for example, from Australia and New Zealand. Um, uh, I've got a, a candidate in Germany, candidate in Netherlands, uh, some from Ireland. And I must tell you this, this year I've got eight candidates from the Caribbean region. Wow. So you're very, very international. We are. Far more than you may think. I like that. So there you go, folks. European Sponsorship Association, we have an international reach. Good. So you, I'm glad you see the value in this. But um, Peter, thanks for that. And just to start with, just tell us a bit about your background and how you eventually got into the ESSA Diploma. Well, that's a good story, Gabriel. A good story <laughs> because I've been in the industry for about 30 years. Yep. So a lot of grey hairs now. Um, but I was very, I've been very lucky in my career. I started off uh, in the first kind of sponsorship agency there ever was in the UK, yeah. uh, in London. What was, um, what was the name of them? CSS Promotions, Okay. a uh, long time ago. Um, and I was also very lucky that I ended up working on one of the first major sports sponsorships um, that kind of um, started in Europe. So yeah. I worked in football uh, and uh, I worked on the Milk Cup. Uh, for the National Dairy Council, who were the sponsors, yeah. uh, and then the first sponsor of the Football League, as it was then, that was before the Premier League even existed, uh, which was Cannon, uh, and it was called the Cannon League, uh, and I worked on both those properties um, 30 years ago. So, in many ways, I started working on uh, from the very beginning of, uh, of sponsorship, and I've been with it ever since. I've moved to uh, several different agencies, mm -hmm. I've worked on lots of big properties, uh, I've been very lucky, um, and uh, it's a business that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Um, if you were going to ask me to give you some highlights, I suppose um, I worked on the sponsorship of the Australian cricket team, 
uh, by Castle Name 4X Lager. That was a very exciting thing to work on. Uh, I worked on the sponsor for the London Marathon, which I sold to both NutraSweet and then to Flora. Okay. Uh, I worked on that for five years. Uh, I worked on the British Athletic Sponsorship Portfolio for a couple of years. I got LucasAid Sport into oh, nice. Sport Sponsorship for the first time. Nice. Um, and I uh, then became Head of Sponsorship at Orange. Nice. So I was with Orange for eight years. Yep. And in that time, we did not only sport, we did some sport things, but we did mainly arts things yeah. because Orange were trying to create a brand. Uh, and by uh, using art as the conduit, we became slightly different to our competitors who all went into to follow things on sport. Uh, I then set up my own consultancy, um, worked with some very big companies, did some lovely things. Yeah. And then just slowly but surely began to um, kind of use this great desire I've always had to bring some training into our industry. Yeah. Because um, all of the other kind of key marketing disciplines like advertising, PR, promotional marketing, yeah. all have their own qualifications and sponsorship has never had anything. And I always thought it was a bit shameful and a bit embarrassing. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea, I had this notion, I had this, um, this kind of manic desire yeah. just to do something about it. Uh, so I went to ESSA, of course, they're the, they're the governing body of, of the European sponsorship industry, and said, you guys really ought to be offering some training to the industry. And they said, scratched their head and kind of said, yes, you're right, we should. Um, and uh, they made me pitch, can you believe it, against some educational <laughs> institutions. Yeah. Uh, and luckily won the pitch. And so I spent a year in a library writing a course about sponsorship. Wow. I'll never forget day one with a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. Uh, and a year later, we had 650 pages, Wow! Um, a lot of which was contributed from specialists mm. in the area. I've had an awful lot of help from the industry. Yep. This isn't just my work. Um, I must say the industry has been very collaborative and very helpful. And uh, it's been a bit of a labor of love, but equally it's been a labor of love, meaning we love our industry and yeah. a lot of people wanted to contribute. Yep. So we now have something very worthy, something very... Um, uh, meaningful in the industry space. Yeah. Uh, it's been done, as you quite rightly said, for over 320 people now actually have the diploma wow. in six years. Uh, and uh, we get fantastic feedback at the end of each course. Mm. We, we, I, 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 I try and change it up each year. I, I Obviously, I keep it as contemporary as possible. Yeah. Um, I also, we tweaked it every year. We get comments back from the students. We do a questionnaire at the end of the course. Yeah, that's good. And we try and really make sure that we uh, make it what the industry needs. Yeah. So we've got a very refined model now, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. And, and I think we really offer something of benefit, and I get some fantastic comments. So I'm, I'm happy with what we've got. But what I would love to do now is to expand um, the geographical reach of the diploma. Yeah. I, I really would like to uh, start offering this um, opportunity to be better at what you do in sports marketing, to... Um, increasingly um, varied parts of yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Pierre. And just so you guys know, we're going to split this into two parts. So the first would be on education and the diploma. The second part would be more on the sponsorship. But firstly, Pierre, from what you've been talking about so far, it sounds like you've been doing great things with the course. But what benefits do the students actually see, and what benefits they gain from doing the course? Do you know? I think. The first thing I would say might surprise you, but um, obviously an increase in knowledge, uh, an increase in learning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, obviously, at the end of it, you get a, um, 
you get your diploma yeah. and you we give you a little logo that you can stick on your CV and on your LinkedIn profile, wherever you want to put it, and it will undoubtedly further your career. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of headhunters that anyone that gets the diploma goes to the top of the pile yeah. uh, in terms of selection. Because, because to do the diploma, you've got to give six months of your life to study and prove that you really want it and want to be better at what you do and want to have more knowledge. But the thing that I think uh, people get most of out of the whole diploma experience is confidence. Yeah. I think you go through, um, it's quite a cramming of, of knowledge in six months, but the notes are so, um, uh, are so varied, so far reaching, uh, that undoubtedly at the end of the process, you know a hell of a lot more than you did at the beginning. Okay. And I always say to guys on the course that you will be able to enter into conversations in boardrooms yeah. that before you would have thought, well, I, I don't want to get involved in this, I yeah. don't really understand it. You will understand what they're talking about and you yeah. will be able to add value to those conversations. Yeah. So I think confidence is the one thing that you would see a dramatic increase in in, in the students. Mm. And you said the course lasts six months? Yeah, it's actually seven, but, seven months, but, yeah. but six sounds tidier. Yeah. <laughs> um, seven because, uh, so it, it's got a nice structure to it. There are The course is made up of six modules of learning, study notes. Uh, and so you take six months to do those. So you do a module a month. Each month, yeah. Yep, and you have to do two essays, short essays, yep. just to prove that you've read and understood the notes. Um, and in the final month, the seven month, uh, the guys uh, finish off the projects that they start working on, which we give them at the very beginning of the course. Yeah. Uh, so they have a whole kind of month at the end to finish off their practical piece of work. Yeah. Um, so it's quite intensive. I, I wouldn't. I would be lying if I said that um, it wasn't going to disrupt your life in some way. Mm -hmm. It probably will interfere with your social life. Yeah. But but we always decided right from the start that we wanted to make this quite a tough examination of someone's desire to be in the industry. Yeah. So we do push people a little bit, um, but uh, with a little bit of application, which I think you need to prove yeah. if you want to make it in our business. Because our business is complicated. It's not a free ride. You've got to be knowledgeable. And without that knowledge, you can't compete and you won't get on. Yeah. So this course really gives people kind of like the passport to mm. be, in the, be in the sports marketing yeah. space. Yeah. Um, and how does the fact that it's distance learning, how does, <clears throat> what kind of impact does that have? If you think it does at all. On your life. <laughs> on your life and just <laughs> in terms of students trying to like get in contact with you or other Well, um, so, so I, I, I think the point about distance learning is that yeah. you're, you're, you are then in control of your own learning. Okay, yeah. So we don't treat people like school children. They're adults, yeah. obviously. Um, and uh, I, we absolutely rely on them to do their studying when it suits their lifestyle. Yeah. Most of the people that do this course um, are employed full-time. Yeah. They're actually working, doing jobs, nine to five. Yeah. So they have to find time in their evenings and at weekends to yep. do their work. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just part of showing how committed you are. The model, it, to be fair, is that most students that come on the course are paid to do it by their employer. Okay. So that's how the financial model works. Yeah. And those employers um, treat it as part of their training program. Yeah. So um, they invest in people because they believe in them, think they're good. They've worked for them for a year or two. They really think they've got potential, so they will pay to put to for you to be trained. Yeah, um, and that's the model. I've, having said that, I do have a number of people each year who pay um, a reduced fee mm -hmm. to put themselves through the qualification because they desperately want to work in sports marketing. Yeah, um, and this qualification gives them a massive leg up in yeah. able to do that. Yeah. 
um, and I'm able to help those people um, to kind of build a career. Yeah. I can give them a little bit of assistance in yeah. introducing them to people and um, if they've kind of shown a lot of commitment during the course, I normally am able to help them um, yeah. get a placement. Yeah, sounds good, using your vast contacts, I'm guessing. Um, but just from understanding the sports markets, obviously not to your degree, but slightly still understanding the sports market, um, this may sound a simple question, but why education? Because you know, a lot of people may have an assumption that the sports market is maybe about who you know, and you know, maybe sponsorship is just about meeting people and doing deals. So why did you choose, so from your background expert, why education? Gabriel, how could you ask me such a question? <laughs> My word. Okay, so um, uh, the first thing to say is um, the sponsorship um, business used to be kind of about selling and badging um, events, selling perimeter boards, selling branding on shirts. It kind of be, it used to be about just brand exposure yep. um, and uh, driven by media. Um, the, our business is changing so dramatically. In the last 10 years, there's been an awful lot of change. Um, and uh, our business is now actually quite academic. Yeah. Yes, part of it is about selling. Uh, and um, if you're a good salesman, then you used to be quite good at sponsorship. Now, though, my word, you've got to be good at so many other things. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to write proposals. You've got to be able to understand brand value. You've got to be able to understand what assets mean. Yeah. You've got to be able to put together a compelling proposition to a sponsor um, that will uh, virtually guarantee that it will have him some impact on his brand and his brand personality and his brand profile. Yeah. Uh, and that is actually quite a complicated process. So educating yourself and understanding how the business works and the diploma gives you all of this in six months i i say quite um uh, in, in 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 a way that i only know myself because yeah. i didn't have any training at the beginning of my career i wish i'd done the diploma because it would have saved me 15 years of learning on the job yeah. in six months wow and that's how much it gives you wow gives you the big picture yeah a high recommendation there um, and also funny enough actually we are talking about sports but um, your course just doesn't cater for the sports market is that correct you cater for the arts and cultural well, yeah, why, why is that maybe so, so it's a sponsorship diploma yeah so sponsorship uh, according to the figures uh, the global figures about 86% of sponsorship spenders on sport yeah and that's been driven mainly by media coverage because um, the media covers sport so comprehensively but increasingly sponsorship now is taking place in many other areas so we do um, we, we I, I always make sure in our course that one of our modules covers all the areas where sponsorship takes place so I've got a whole section on the arts uh, I've got a section on broadcast sponsorship, um, and I've got a section on um, environment. I've got a, I've got a section on uh, even adventures and, ex and exhibitions, yeah. um, product placement, all sorts of other areas where sponsorship takes place. Um, and increasingly, oh, and of course, venues. My God, yeah. how could I forget that? Venues are increasingly important. Um, so uh, I do not believe you can do a sponsorship course without understanding and having some um, some education, some learning capability yep. to understand that it's much broader than sport. Mm. I, I mean, I'm, my background was sport, but I, I very quickly got involved in lots of arts projects, uh, and, and I know how important it is to have the confidence to enter into that space. Yeah. Funnily enough, the arts offers 
probably more creative potential than sport. Oh, really? Why do you, why do you think that? Just because the nature of art is, um, it, 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 it's a creative environment. Okay, yeah. it, it, it's where and arts, just by definition, involves um, kind of lots of live performance. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, it's quite a compelling environment. Yeah. But it's very audience-driven, the arts. Um, so it, it attracts certain different types of audiences to sport very often. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, the companies that sponsor arts tend to be seeking a different target market. Okay. Makes sense. Um, right. You've mentioned the international scope that you have. And you've also mentioned that most, well, not most, most of the students that do enroll in the course is usually paid by their employer. So I'm guessing they're really working in the sponsorship and environment but for potential students you personally want to do the diploma do they need to be from a certain background certain experience or what's needed that's a very good question so we take um we take people from uh sponsors so yeah. from companies we take people from rights holders yeah. so the events organizers that yeah. hold the rights yeah and we obviously take people from agencies yeah uh, and uh, as I said to you earlier, we, we also take a fair tranche of people who just want to make a career change yeah. or want to, uh, or are practicing on their own sometimes. I've had quite a few people running their own little businesses um, who just want to be better at, at some of the basics involved. Mm -hmm. um, and we take people that just want, desperately want a career in, um, in sports marketing. So um, there's, no, uh, there's no particular requirement in terms of background apart from yeah. being able to pay. Um, because the course um, does have a cost, of yeah. course. Um, so you're either part of the uh, the education model that the employer will provide by paying for you, or you have to kind of um, pay for it yourself because it's something you really, really want to know more about than to do. Mm. Um, so background, uh, I would say, and I think this is quite important, that actually um, the course does involve writing essays, answering yeah. a project, all of which um, are important skills for anyone wanting to be in the business. So yeah. being able to write and write well yeah. um, and understand the background to a lot of the issues involved in sports marketing, which yeah. the questions will quiz you about, um, is important. So I always think our industry is slightly more academic than you might think. Yeah. And you have to prove it to good. get your to get the diploma, really. Sounds good. Everything deserves a challenge. I agree, anyway. All right, thanks for that, Peter. Um, so in terms of the, the international student, well, firstly, in terms of the course, are you looking to attract more people from maybe outside of Europe? And if you are looking to do so, like the examples that you gave, is this diploma, is it recognized in their market or is it for those who are looking to come to Europe and use it? That's a very good question. Uh, uh, right now, um, I started to look at uh, markets further and further away because um, we're getting to the point where we've trained a fair number of people in the UK and in Europe now. Yeah. Um, I also like, I like very much the idea of getting more people involved from different markets who bring different learnings and understandings to the group. Um, we have a, a kind of a group sharing ethic where we all kind of compile our stuff. Um, so I would very much like students from um, other parts of the world. And the beauty of distance learning and the beauty of this course is that it absolutely doesn't matter where you are in the world. Yes, we do have seminars that are held in London, but we film everything we do. Uh, and so every student that I've ever had on the course um, watch, is able to watch the seminars, we mm -hmm. film them, they go up on the website. So you don't miss out on anything. 
And for my distance students, um, those that are outside the UK and can't come to the seminars, I um, hold a monthly tutorial with them. Um, so we get to know each other, we talk about their challenges, we talk about their jobs, and we also talk about obviously the course, the content, and the questions they're doing. So I give them lots of help. But um, part of the experience, I think, is being able to share um, things with me. I'm personally quite experienced, so I can kind of um, encourage them in certain ways, give them a bit of extra education, give them a bit of extra help with what they do. Um, so I'm very much, very keen to embrace um, any market. Yeah. yeah. Good. Sounds good. And it's good to know as well that people from outside, well, also Europe, can use it in their own market. It's the same challenge. Yeah. It's exactly the same challenge for anyone. Wherever they're from, it's the same thing. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks for that. So just before we move on to talking, talk about sponsorship in more detail, could you just tell us a bit more about the European Sponsorship Association in general? And if you go on their website, you can see they have great content, um, short courses, just great information. They do awards and whatnot as well. Um, can you just tell us a bit more about their model and how they operate? Of course. So um, the European Sponsorship Association was founded um, to represent the industry across Europe. It has always been based in the UK, so it's been yeah. slightly UK focused. Yeah. Um, but it has got membership from a number of European countries yeah. um, who are quite active in the space and who certainly contribute entries to the awards. So every year when they have the VSA the awards, which we had recently, um, there are a number of winners that win, win, um, that win various categories uh, that are outside the UK. Um, uh, so, but mainly, ESSA is a membership organisation. You have to pay a fee in return for which you get access to a whole um, tranche of uh, value. So you get access to um, lots of networking opportunities, you get access to lots of events, whole regular events um, that are normally involve um, companies, sports bodies, whatever it might be speaking. So you have a great opportunity to learn, great opportunity to mix and mingle. ESSA also has a great training program, obviously including the diploma. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably worth mentioning that if you're an ESSA member, um, you get the discount, a significant discount on placing people on the diploma. And what is not widely known, but I will now tell you, <laughs> yes. is that if you if you put two people on the diploma course, um, you save uh, the, the, a, a significant amount of money, in fact, the same as your uh, SM membership. Wow. So uh, we couldn't be more generous. Wow. Um, so uh, Nessa also, the other thing Nessa does that's important to, to mention is it represents the industry uh, at governmental level. Okay. So if there are any issues, so for example, ESSA has held the industry's hand through issues with alcohol, tobacco, and now gambling very much. Yeah. Um, ESSA represents uh, its members that operate in those spaces uh, uh, in, in terms of forming legislation at governmental level, if that's the way things are going to go. Yeah. So it's a representative governing body um, as well as providing lots of opportunities yeah. to um, help the industry grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thanks for that. I think that will wrap up the first part by education. Um, and I hope you find it useful. Um, for myself, I'm just speaking to people within the market in Africa. I think, um, and the name of this organization, Africa Sports Unified, I think education really plays a big part in terms of raising the, the standards, um, the professionalism of a certain industry within the market. And it just, it's better for everyone. If everyone has the best qualification that they can gain, best understanding the knowledge, and utilize that in their practice, 
I guess it's all good for the sports market in general. So um, hope you enjoy that. And so now we're going to talk about sponsorship. All right, so we're going to talk about sponsorship now. Um, sponsorship or partnerships, however you want to describe it, um, plays a huge part in the market. Again, if you go on the um, ESO website, there's a stat there that shows <clears throat> in 2016, the size of the European sponsorship industry was 27.15 billion euros, which was an increase by 5.7% from 2015, which it was at 25.7 billion euros. So from those stats, again, it's for the European market, but those stats show how huge an impact it has and how it's going to continue to increase as well. And now we'll speak to ask Peter a few more questions just about what sponsorship is and where it's moving in the market. So to begin with, in essence, what is sponsorship? Is it sales? Is it marketing? What is it? <laughs> that old question. Okay, <laughs> so um, sponsorship, uh, there are so many definitions, um, and I probably don't want to get dragged down into a formal one of those, um, but sponsorship involves um, uh, rights holders who own rights, selling them to the advantage of business, businesses, brands, whatever it might be, in order to gain some form of commercial advantage. Yeah. So there are two things at play here. One is you pay a fee in order to get some commercial advantage. And you do that by associating yourself uh, with an event that has a target market. It could be an event, could be a team, could be a building, could be a, it, it kind of could be anything that is owned by somebody. Yeah. You know, and that person owns some rights. Um, and uh, companies will pay in order to have some form of ownership of that property. Uh, and uh, probably if I was simplifying it, I would say in order to have access to that event's target market. So it's the people that watch it, the people that view it, the spectators, the fans, um, who all have a passion, probably, because sponsorship um, operates through people's passions. Yeah. And that's very much why it's so good at what it does, because you're engaging with people who are involved in something that they love, that they enjoy. Um, so Fans is very much a key part of the sponsorship model. Um, but this kind of relationship, this partnership, as you rightly called it, um, gives you normally exclusive access because you pay normally to have unique access to that particular property. So in other words, you actually make sure that in your contract that nobody else in your space, yeah. if you're a car company, no other car companies will be able to have a relationship with this event. Yeah. So you've kind of got an open playing field there that you can use to promote your particular brand. Yeah. Um, and it's... Which comes out of price, obviously. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. But what I call it, I call, I always say that sponsorship provides you with a platform for engagement, uh, which means that it gives you a kind of like a stage in which you can put on a performance mm -hmm. uh, at which you can attract an audience yeah. to come and view um, what you own. Um, so um, I, uh, I inevitably the way that this plays out now increasingly in our in our more sophisticated sponsorship world is um, with increasing forms of, of reaching people there are many many uh, ways in which you can um, make this relationship come alive through many many different types of channels yeah uh, and that's why sponsorship is becoming um, a, a much more um, open and diverse type of type yeah. of opportunity. Uh, you probably read many phrases uh, that are being bandied around about advertising is dead. 
Um, I don't actually believe that. Okay. Um, but what I do believe is that um, people ha now have different um, opportunities to view information. It used to be very much around advertising on TV, on radio, but that, that both of those markets are so fragmented now. Digital media has uh, exploded the opportunities for messages to be passed, yeah. which has made our marketplace much more sophisticated. Yeah. And in digital media, do you mean the social platforms or? Yeah, d d digital by definition means, um, kind of means the website environment, okay. yeah. but also uh, obviously different uh, social channels, yeah. uh, of which there are many, yeah. um, increasing number. And who knows, who knows how many there'll be in 10 years time. Yeah. And, you know, several of them have just become more important over the last two or three years. Uh, and and we're, we're at a stage, I probably can mention this now, where you're, I know you're going to ask me about the future, but <laughs> I'm going to jump the gun. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say to you that um, uh, one of the fastest growing areas in sponsorship at the moment, can you believe it, um, is influencer marketing. Oh, I just uh, had to ask you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I knew it was coming. I really was. Uh, yeah, I preempted you. Um, <laughs> So what's happening is, particularly for younger audiences yep. um, who have only ever been exposed to, uh, to, to digital communication channels, um, they uh, are sold products for a whole, uh, a whole ream of, of different reasons. And one of those is by recommendation. Yeah. And that can be from recommendations they, uh, they have from people that they idolize um, or can be from friends. And what social media has done uh, is it's given um, that whole generation that kind of relies on their devices now almost exclusively yeah. um, opportunities to act on and make purchases based on recommendation. Yeah. Now I'm going to add to that one other really important thing that's going to answer another one of your questions. <laughs> Go on, <don't> um, uh, <laughs> increasingly, one of the very new areas that is becoming uh, very important in our space is uh, the uh, ability, the necessity, and the demand from younger people for companies to operate in a much more ethical way. Yes. Uh, and so I'm talking yes. about probably about CSR here. Yep. Um, so there is an increasing need for companies to be seen to be behaving, and not just be seen, but yeah. to actually act in a responsible way. Uh, so it's all about doing good. Um, and more and more of these type of um, campaigns are going to um, become uh, more and more important for companies in their marketing. Uh, th there are, there's quite a bit of research now that shows that younger people, millennials and now um, Gen Z, which yeah. is the, the next tranche of, uh, yeah. of, of, of people, young people, um, are now make purchasing decisions based on different rationale to, to, to the way they used to. Yeah. They evaluate the products and the companies that they're buying from in order to make sure that they meet their ethical standards. Yeah. Uh, and this is impacting on sponsorship mm. because increasingly sponsorships are having to um, have elements of their campaigns that do good, um, that make less impact on the environment. Yeah. Uh, and this has only just started. This is going to really, really evolve. Yep, yep. Um, so uh, if you're going to ask me about growth, yeah. <laughs> that, that's one area that is really um, starting to be very, very impactful yeah. in campaigns. Whilst we're on there, let's just continue talking about it. Because um, I, initially I met Peter at um, SoccerX Global Convention last year. And we, and we touched on this briefly. Um, again, from speaking to people within the African sports market, especially the uh, CSR and charitable side of things, from what I see sometimes, 
maybe organizations just partner with these CSR companies as just maybe a tick box, tick box exercise, and maybe not so much about the um, the output or the I won't say return investment because usually CSR and charitable, but less so on the impact that it's actually having. Now, are organizations, be it in sports or arts or cultural mm. environment, are they changing this dynamic in your opinion or is it still about maybe you're saying tick box is a bit cynical but is it about yeah. let's just do it because they're doing, no, it's, it's, doing no, well I, 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 I don't think that is cynical but I think that's common in the when uh, when a new movement starts yeah. I think companies take kind of shortcuts and start time to take credit for something they've kind of given a nod to without yeah. really really investing in it but what I would say Social media is like a uh, it's, it's kind of like a detective. Yeah. Uh, and if you are found out um, for not practicing what you preach and it hits social media, you can be very exposed very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of companies have kind of learned the hard way um, that it's no good pretending to be good at something. If you're not, you will be found out. Yeah. Uh, so I think you will find that. Uh, Many companies now are realizing, and not only not only in a way being driven by by pressure from social media, but also being driven by what's going on in the real world. Yeah. That unless we all start making a different set of decisions, um, our world is going to change dramatically, and it, um, not for the benefit of, of, of future generations. Yeah. Uh, so I think there is increase an increasing amount of awareness. Which will only um, which will only change more with every report that comes out. I read a you probably read in the press today. I was reading an article about uh, water levels increasing yeah. by twice as fast as, as people thought. Yeah. And by the end of the century, we will have lost a lot of our coastline, and some countries are severely impacted by this. So this is just going to hasten this decision making. Yeah. Um, and uh, it will impact on many areas of marketing. Yeah. And many companies are only going to survive by um, by doing good. Yeah. And I know, Gabriel, you were about to ask me, and I'm going to reach for it now. <laughs> I'm going to reach over here to my bookshelf. The book, yeah. I'm going to find you a book that I'm going to recommend to you. Yes. Um, You're in my mind. And it's called Good is the New Cool. Yeah. And it's by Afdel Aziz, who I saw speaking um, at the IEG conference in Chicago last year. And he gave a bravura. Um, presentation of his belief about CSR and about how important doing good is. Yeah. And in this book, which I recommend to you, yeah. um, there are examples of a number of young American companies that have uh, literally kind of come out of nowhere, but they all are operating on a very ethical marketing platform. Yeah. And they're all doing really well, as opposed to some companies that are old with old brands, old products, old yeah. ways of manufacturing, yeah. finding it hard to change their their, their, their kind of factory production practices. Yeah. Um, whereas these guys are starting from scratch yeah. uh, and have a whole new ethical manifesto. Yeah. Um, and they are doing extremely well yeah. um, in America, and that's only going to spread yeah. out. So a company yeah. like Patagonia, for example, yeah. that is incredibly ethical, well worth looking at Patagonia's website, yeah. by the way. Um, very interesting company. Um, they are going to do. Um, they will be the for, They are forces of good for the future, and yeah. undoubtedly will survive and do well. Yep. So for those of you listening, I think Peter just gave you a business plan there. <laughs> but in all honesty, um, again, regarding the African market, I think a lot, quite a few of clubs, um, 
are competing obviously with the English Premier League. And so they find it a bit difficult to draw um, that strong brand association with local fans, local um, supporters. Yeah. And I think this will be a great way for them to actually increase their brand association with the local supporters. Yeah, um, I, I know what I, I know what you're saying. The, yeah. the, so the, the the power of the Premiership is permeating lots of markets around the world, which is which is why increasingly the power base of football is 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 is, is currently or is in the UK. Yeah. Um, I, I read some figure was it that fifty percent of transfer fees were. And, and now and, 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 and now coming from from UK clubs yeah. some in, some incredible figure now okay so that's where we are now but things evolve things move on so um, uh, man United Liverpool Chelsea uh, man City certainly Tottenham as well um, they are all um, trying to build um, partnership models uh, using their fan bases in various parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, and that's because they are uh, it, because um, the, the Premier League football uh, on TV is so popular in various parts of the world. Yeah. Now, what I would say, uh, I think that will continue for a number of years, but I don't think. I, but I think it's a bubble that potentially could burst mm-hmm. because as countries develop uh, more, I think football clubs in those areas will become more important to young people in those countries. Um, supporting a club that is 10,000 miles away yeah. is fun while you've got television, yeah. but it's not grassroots. And I believe there's a future for, um, and clubs in um, Africa, as you mentioned, yep. clubs should continue to keep the faith, uh, and their sponsorship models will maybe smaller, but I believe undoubtedly that they will be able to develop um, a real fanship model uh, within their local communities. Yeah. South Africa, you know, um, th- so. th- th- there's enormous um, kind yeah. of passion yeah. for um, for football in that country. Uh, and um, despite premiership chipping away, um, I believe there's a massive, there's still massive potential uh, for football leagues and local football clubs in, um, in, in, in every country in the world, really. Yeah. It might just take a little longer to develop and evolve, that's yeah. all. Yeah. No, that's that's great insight. I really wanted to cover that. Um, there is opportunity. Just make sure you are, uh, as Peter said, social media is strong. So if you're if you if you are a bit flawed, you get found out. Just make sure you're having the right intentions. Um, cool, that's good. So I've got a few questions here. So that's why Peter keeps saying he can. He's jumping ahead, but it's fine. It's good. I like this. Um, so for maybe we've touched on this briefly, but um, why is sponsorships and partnerships so important to um, to the sports market in particular? Well, in, in, I'm going to be slightly repetitive, uh, if only to say that sport um, always has and always will involve people's passions, whether they play the sport, whether yeah. they follow the sport, whether they're fans of the sport. Um, so you are plugging into um, things that people care about. Mm-hmm. Football's a, a, a leading example where passion really exists because... Um, fans of football clubs are um, are very tribal, yeah. and so that gives you real power and, and gives the sponsor lots of power. Um, other sports, perhaps not so much, but the sporting model uh, obviously started with media and media coverage because sport is very uh, media friendly. Yeah. Um, you end up with a result, you end up with a winner, you end up with a loser. There's so much content in sport yeah. 
Um, and content uh, now with social media, content is, is crucial. So you will have noticed the way campaigns are developing. Uh, things have changed dramatically. Now, companies, brands are using their platforms, in other words, their sponsorships, uh, to make stories that uh, are, are, are film, often yeah. film, a minute long, two minutes long, three minutes long, even four minutes long. It's creating commercials that are just longer. Yeah. Um, the, the, the brands are more embedded into the content, um, but they are more natural. Yeah. It isn't banging you over the head with a brand logo, although clearly someone wearing a shirt, yeah. that's why people buy that, yeah. buy, buy that type of content. But um, the messaging is a bit more subtle, a bit more interesting. And often this content and these stories involve tugging on your heartstrings or playing to your fandom in some way. Uh, so it's providing opportunities for much more in-depth engagement. Yeah. Um, and I think that's crucial here. So sport, it's sport and, and also sport is played at the highest level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so whatever sport you follow, there will be a championship. Yeah. There will be an event. There will be, I only need to mention the Olympic Games, the World Cup, you yeah. know, the ultimate for, the, for, 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 all those, for all those sports. They are watched by kind of all the world. And you can't get bigger than that. You can't get more reach than that. You yeah. can't get a bigger platform than that, which is why they're obviously the most expensive things to invest in. Yeah. Um, but brands invest in them because they get uh, give them enormous opportunities to add value to their brands. Yeah. Yep, clearly answered there. Um, so you mentioned previously about um, <clears throat> understanding the asset and also the target market. Now, in terms of understanding the asset, in terms of understanding the asset, how important for how important is it for a sponsor to value a product? So, like the Premier League, for example, how is, how important is is that for a sponsor to to understand that value? If if that makes sense. Uh, well, so uh, 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 if a sponsor is going to go into football, yeah. Uh, they will need to have identified a number of, as you rightly say, assets yeah. in the property they're looking at. Normally, it involves being able to reach a significant number of their target market. Yeah. Now, the people that follow football is a pretty broad universe now. Mm. It used to be quite tight, used to be quite age-driven. But as football fans have got older, football has become slightly more complicated. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's happened um, in the UK, the Premier League model, that actually isn't necessarily that positive, I think, mm -hmm. uh, although it's worked in terms of income generation for the clubs, yeah. is that uh, it used to be a working class sport yeah. in this country. Um, it used to involve standing at football grounds. Yeah. It, used to involve, it was incredibly um, fervent. Yeah. Um, if you've watched pictures of old matches with, with, with the crowd packed in, the cop at Liverpool... Um, an incredibly different experience to how it is now yeah. that's changed for reasons we all know and probably for the better um, but um, uh, therefore um, kind of the, um, the, the model in football is changing um, and uh, it's now um, about, uh, about money it's about accumulating a more commercial value through a number of different strands sponsorship is one hospitality is another um, and um, partnerships uh, across a whole sector of, um, of kind of needs for a club. Yeah. Um, clubs do value in kind, which means 
using products without a fee taking place because companies want to see their brand being used. Yeah. And increasingly in football, there's the venue sponsorship model, yeah. uh, which is relatively new but is now um, increasingly important to clubs. Yeah. Um, we're watching with some interest at the moment to see what's happening with the new Tottenham Stadium, um, which is supposed to launch to start at the beginning of next season. I believe from what I've seen, it'll probably be one of the best stadiums in Europe. Uh, they haven't announced a naming rights deal yet. Yeah. They're asking quite a lot of money. Um, and um, it'll be interesting to see who uh, who decides that that's a good thing to yeah. um, to, to invest in. Yeah. Um, so there are many different ways that um, um, the, the, the football and sport yeah. are, 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 kind of, are kind of growing. Yeah. I think... I'm trying to, um, what would be the process, let's say if you are a, um, you're a sponsor, what would be the process from actually the first stage to activation of a, of a sponsor? Like what would you look for? I guess you have to assess your target market, etc. Is it a long process or how long does it take or can it take? Okay, so I'm going to I'll forensically examine your question <laughs> yeah. by, and I'm going to start off by saying, uh, any brand, uh, uh, any company uh, that owns brands uh, that is looking to get into sponsorship will have business objectives. Yeah. Uh, and from those business objectives, their marketing department will form marketing objectives, which help to satisfy the business yes. objectives. Yeah. Uh, and um, out of those, um, uh, those kind of key marketing aims and needs will come certain problems and issues that they need solved. Their weaknesses in their brand, or their, it's a young brand that still doesn't have much recognition, it's not very well liked, it's not known very well. Whatever the problem may be, it will have certain objectives. And those objectives will be identified, and if sponsorship can help solve any of those marketing problems, um, then it will be driven out of those kind of those objective needs. Yeah. Uh, and um, a company will then... Um, try and find an opportunity that helps to solve some of those issues. Yeah. So for football, um, you probably identified, uh, it may be, football, actually, the big clubs, the big Premier League clubs, they're able to um, sell a very different story to a club that's in the, the first division or yeah. second division of, yeah. of, of the English Football League. Um, because they are, they operate internationally yeah. on an international scale with lots of television coverage and lots of fans in lots of markets. Yeah. Smaller clubs um, operate much more locally, uh, and their fan base is not so diverse. Mm -hmm. So they operate; they are much more community driven. Yeah. So they will look to do sponsorship relationships, probably based within a twenty-five mile radius of the club. Okay, yeah. um, football clubs are, are often at the very heart of the community. Yeah. So they will look to do deals with the largest employer in the area, yeah. just because they've got a big workforce, mainly who would probably support the local club. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a community driven yeah. um, kind of um, a partnership. Um, whereas the bigger clubs have a different model based on what is now very much um, a, a universal global picture. Yeah. Um, so uh, sponsorship is all about identifying objectives and finding opportunities that um, that help um, that need. So if I, I, I and we shouldn't restrict this conversation just to football. Football obviously attracts 
is by far the biggest sponsorship opportunity. Yeah. But many may say there are far too many companies involved in football now. And it's actually just, um, it's such a crowded marketplace. Yeah. Companies, some companies um, in the UK and in Europe certainly are looking to form different relationships with different sports that are less crowded. So their message is more impactful. Yeah. So, for example, a sport like netball, which is clearly a, um, a women's sport, mm -hmm. um, and women's sport is growing dramatically yeah. um, now. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing areas in sport. But netball in the UK is the fastest growing women's sport, and yet it's still struggling to find sponsorship. Um, that's probably due to television coverage, although I have to say uh, netball is now on Sky. Yeah. And so uh, I think there will be very soon probably a big announcement for netball. Yeah. For all these reasons, it's going in the right, right direction. Um, and all sports have an opportunity to uh, identify who their target market is and find sponsors who share that market. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 there is nothing that should feel intimidated if they're not in the football space. Yeah. You know, there are many opportunities out there. Yeah. And in fact, you can operate, companies uh, in the UK have, uh, have sponsored swimming, rowing, um, cycling, yeah. areas like that, and found themselves in a marketplace where there isn't uh, virtually no competition yeah. to their messaging. Yeah. Uh, so you need to be quite adventurous sometimes and try and develop relationships where um, you get much more exposure than yep. you might through football, despite its popularity. Yeah. Sounds great. And again, obviously, from Peter's background and what he does, we're giving him examples from the European market. But I believe definitely the principles are the same being here and in the African market as well in terms of the opportunities and ways that organisations can go about this. So what makes a solid and long-lasting partnership? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I, I, I'll surprise you by using uh, a simple word, which is trust. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, a sponsor and a rights holder needs to understand each other's needs and need to work together to help each other to solve those needs. Yeah. Because rights holders have needs uh, just as much as sponsors do. And if they work together collaboratively to help each other, there's a much better chance of having a really yeah. good, long-lasting partnership. Yeah. Um, now, for example, um, rights holders, you would say, what's their biggest need? And you'll go, money. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it is. Yeah. But they need more than money. Money will help. And, and a spot, the beautiful thing about sponsorship is you give a, uh, an event money, that will make it bigger, better, um, probably put more, more people, make more people interested, yeah. uh, allow more people to compete in it. Um, it will grow um, its church, yeah. if you like, um, as a result of the partnership. So by pumping money in, you're improving the thing you're sponsoring, yeah. which is kind of nice. Um, but um, also, um, you rights holders like a sponsor that invests uh, a certain amount of support budget to help uh, push and promote the event. Yeah. It's in the interest of the sponsor that the event gets as much publicity as possible, as many people hear about it as possible, as many people compete in it as as high a level as possible. Um, so um, rights holders like sponsors that are that will help to increase the fame, yeah. notoriety, yeah. competitiveness um, of the um, of the event or the yeah. team or whatever it is that they're sponsoring. Mm -hmm. um, so. 
both parties working together towards the same end of growing yeah. and making the event bigger, better, yeah. uh, more interesting, more impactful um, is um, the secret to those two parties yeah. working working best together. Great answer, Peter. Thanks very much for that. Um, yeah, it's been great. Actually, before I forget, two last questions which I ask everyone. So in the sports market, we have largely the sponsor, the media, and the sport. <laughs> in your opinion, obviously we all know your background, but in your opinion, which do you think holds the, the, the power in that relationship? I hate that question. <laughs> um, uh, it depends. Yeah. I'm going to sit on the fence. Okay. Okay. Uh, it. it um, who holds the most power? Yeah. Um, well, Okay. So inevitably, um, sponsors pay the money. Yeah. So they will expect a considerable return for the money they're investing. Yeah. Rights holders have the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Um, rights holders will tell the sponsors what they can and can't do. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and well, so at sport is the rights holder actually. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. So I think what you're asking is, is, is it the sponsor or the rights holder that has the most power? Um, I, or the media as well. Or media. Yeah. Um, media, media are, are, are channels through which you make sponsorship come alive. Yeah. I don't, um, Media want to cover things. I, I, so I, I'm going to eliminate media in the hierarchy of <laughs> of, of, of who holds the most power. Yeah. Um, so if you are going to press me uh, to, uh, I, funnily enough, yeah. Ah, rights holders. Okay. And that might surprise you. Yeah. But ultimately, they can say no to a sponsor. Yeah. They can say yeah. no to a sponsorship. They can put a lot of money down because they're asking for too much. Something a rights holder doesn't want to embrace, something a rights holder can't achieve, yeah. they can turn down the offer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and rights holders are increasingly now under pressure to deliver um, great value and propositions for sponsors. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, and without them doing that, some sponsorships won't be long term. Yeah. So uh, often uh, a rights holder being being very um, open minded towards what its sponsor needs yeah. uh, will make the the relationship longer. And so I think they have more power than they probably even know. Good. Good answer. Now for the second question, I usually ask people what would they introduce to the African market to help the growth. But in Peter's example now, what specific area of sponsorship would you advise a rights holder or an owner for them to implement to better their market? Okay, so um, the way things are, um, are, are evolving um, in our marketplace, and I'm particularly going to use social media as the kind of channel for this, um, it seems to me that uh, increasing uh, influencers in the marketplace for various sports are going to become more and more important. So uh, Heroes in various countries, individuals that are particularly good at particular sports, mm -hmm. that win medals in yeah. major tournaments, teams that win something outstanding, um, are going to become increasingly influential in yeah. terms of persuading people to um, buy certain brands. Yeah. Um, and 
you, I'm sure you know this, but um, increasing number of leading sports people are employing yeah. marketing companies yeah. to do and to edit and to control their, their social profiles. Yeah. Uh, and they are influencing lots of young people to behave in certain ways. Yeah. So um, I think uh, you need, you'd need to think quite a lot more about identifying interesting, and I don't, Perhaps in the African market, this would be people that are very successful yeah. and are doing well in particular sports, maybe overseas, maybe locally. But here, it, it's interesting. People are becoming um, kind of heroes across a whole strand of different activities. It can be, it can be music. Yeah. It can be something community-driven. It can yeah. be something social. Yeah. Um, and heroes are kind of appearing um, through social need as much as through winning medals and, yeah. um, and, and being revered across a, um, a, for representing a country and doing yeah. a great thing. Uh, so I think uh, the field of influencing and influencers is becoming uh, an increasingly um, kind of big um, tool yeah. out, of, out, of our, out, of our, out of our marketing toolbox. Great. Yeah. Well, that's all we have today, people. Um, thanks for listening. And Peter, thanks for um, participating and sharing your vast knowledge. It's been great. Thanks for your time. And... Yeah, hopefully you see you guys. Well, not see you. I won't see you, but hopefully you tune into the next podcast that we do here. So thanks and take care.